Uh, that's it, right? Yeah. No, we got the lions. Oh, the lions, of course. Nah, how can I forget yeah. about the lions? It's October. No, yeah, it's October. <laughs> Friday <but> the 7th. <laughs> it's Friday, October 7th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Schrodinger TV critic. And with me today is uh, Gordon Derrick, contributing editor at Dutch News and Schrodinger Dictator. I think we should start with your job title, Gordon. Yeah, because I'm really um, curious about it. Are you? Yes. Well, uh, we have a former MP yeah. who uh, wished a certain dictator yes. or was said he was planning on uh, wishing a certain dictator happy birthday. Yeah. And uh, yeah, depending if he does this or not, um, this dictator will probably die very soon. <laughs> yeah. So it is, uh, as we say, it, it is the 70th birthday of um, uh, Vladimir Putin, who, if you're Thierry Baudet, is the savior of the Christian universe um and if you're anybody else is, is a vile brutal war criminal and mass murderer so take your pick really but um yeah the, 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 there was a um yesterday thursday a very uh, dry tweet from um hank kroll our favorite former mp i think famous friend of the show friend of the show very much friend of the show hank kroll wishing vladimir putin a happy birthday which got a lot of people agitated saying why are you wishing this terrible man a happy birthday but of course hank kroll has a track record of um, wishing people a happy birthday when it turned and forgetting that they actually died three or four months earlier. Yeah. So this was kind of, I think he was trying to, um, uh, hoping that the curse of Henk would work for, <laughs> <laughs> for Putin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he is one of these politicians that, you know, uh, befriended everyone on Facebook that uh, that that sent a friend request. Yeah. And uh, what he always did that was part of his morning routine. I think was was look at which of his Facebook friends, which well, no, one no, of he, their... he would have gotten notifications, won't he? Because yeah, whose happens. birthday yeah. it was, yeah. and then it w- yeah. he would send them, uh, uh, yeah, a happy birthday uh, um, 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 message, which yeah. is a nice gesture, of course. But Lovely. Hank Cole was the um, um, MP for the Fifty Plus Party, which uh, focuses on the elders, mm. and that means that sometimes uh, these people die, and uh, on. <laughs> occasions he congratulated people um, that had actually died uh, as you said a couple of months earlier which he had no way of knowing but yeah, yeah it sort of became a running gag that every time Hank Hall, um, uh, uh, yeah congratulates you with something it means yes. that you will probably die very soon or <laughs> that if you are or already you, if dead. you're not if you're not dead already yeah yeah exactly yeah um, so that was what he was referring to uh, and uh, in the reactions under that tweet you could really see this division between people that have been on the internet too long and people that uh, haven't been uh, 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 long enough to understand this joke and yeah. who, as you said, were wondering what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, it was uh, it was pretty funny. And I think it is one of the most liked tweets uh, in Dutch Twitter history, I think. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's, it definitely is. It, uh, it, it exceeded the... Uh, the popcorn uh, couch tweet of uh, Hugo de Jonge the first time he wasn't uh, in one of the Corona uh, wow. press conferences. Yeah, and he so, showed a picture uh, of his shoes on um, you know, up on the table. Yeah, watching very, television. Yeah, yeah so and, and with a beer and with a uh, bag of popcorn uh, yeah. next to him. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it, it, I, th- I thought it. This was uh, one of the rare instances that uh, Henkel was actually funny and yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, he did, so now he, he's until he does something stupid again, he is friend of the show. He's a friend of the show. Yeah, no, he did a good job. And I'd like to say, in the spirit of Hank Kroll, happy birthday, Vladimir Putin. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, as I say, I see the patriarch of the Russian Church has also asked for people to pray for Putin's health as well. Mm. So. Yeah, okay, that's a good sign. <laughs> that's a good, always a good sign. Yeah, when the head of your church and the guy kind of, yeah, is, is responsible for handling death in your country, uh, is telling the whole country to pray for your health. Uh. Uh, speaking of things that are dead and, and, and alive at the same time, uh, what's going on with your TV career? Uh, yeah, my t- my TV career is uh, is fine, um, <laughs> but this uh, this refer- I, I had a, I had to choose between two opefs of the week, yeah. uh, and uh, uh, we just decided to uh, uh, put one in my uh, job description this week, so we could still talk about it. We mm-hmm. still have a um, uh, an excuse to talk about it. No, it this go- this is about uh, a new. Uh, comedy drama it's series like drama, uh, isn't it? yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, on, on uh, uh, RTL I believe or yeah. SBS I'm not entirely sure uh, it's one of these drama series by Linda de Mol mm-hmm. who is the uh, yeah she's called the queen of television she's a very popular TV uh, presenter right she also has a uh, uh, a women's magazine which yeah. is also highly popular her uh, brother is is the TV mogul the sort of the um, he, he, he's basically the Rupert Murdoch of Dutch media yeah. uh, owning all these t- uh, TV stations yeah. Yeah, and uh, media outlets yeah kind of John the Mall of Endemol he's one half of Endemol yeah know, exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah people in the UK uh, will know about Endemol because he invented Big Brother in fact people over Europe yeah, will know about yeah, it, he's, yeah he's the yeah. he's the one who invented reality TV basically yeah, exactly. uh, yeah. um and um, we also have a TV critic called Angela de Jong of, of the Algemeen Dagblad. Mm-hmm. And she um, yeah, always writes very critical about uh, John de Mol's productions and <laughs> about a lot of his TV productions. And she has become, uh, yeah, how do you say that? The, the arch nemesis of basically everyone on television, uh, especially the de Mol family. Yeah. Um, and now Lynn de Mol has this new uh, drama series. It's about one of these daily yeah, it's a fic- about a fictional daily talk show of which we have so many in the Netherlands, and she plays one of the presenters there. And um, in the first episode, in the pilot, uh, uh, um, a character that was clearly based on Angela de Jong <laughs> was a guest on this fictional uh, daily talk show, and then one of the spotlights uh, fell uh, on top of her during the live uh, uh, live broadcast, yeah. killing her. Or yeah, it's nothing not clear if she's killed or not mm. um but yeah that <laughs> sparked a lot of outrage <laughs> by a lot of people who said you know how can you be so um so kind of blatant about just uh but yeah yeah disliking your angela, de jong, so, angela de mol yeah angela de jong yeah that yeah. you that angela you jong, sorry, invent yeah. a character that's based on her and kill her off in in one of your shows that is also produced by uh, your brother so yeah it was um <laughs> Yeah, there was, it was uh, it was a little bit curious. Yeah, and, but it was uh, a great scene as well because they released a clip or sort of people have shared the clip on Twitter and it's just fantastically, hideously over-dramatized piece of footage. As, where... as every every <laughs> production of yeah. Dutch acting is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, sh- we will link to it in the liner notes or in the in the description of this yeah. this episode. I, I think and some can... they, they must have just written into the script um, uh, screams very loudly for the person who's <laughs> sitting on the other side of Angela de Jong or the 
the, 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 the character who is not Angela de Jong. Um, when, when, when the lamps falls on her head, there's like a she, she sort of yeah. She really goes for it like a six year old in a in in, 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 in a ghost uh, in, on a ghost train. It's amazing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, it's uh, terrible. It's, it's terribly acted, but yeah, yeah that's what we, uh, we we're used of that. Yeah. Uh, my, my favorite thing is that they had castings on the table. Yeah. And the of blood course. went everywhere, but not on the castings. <laughs> castings are untouched. Yeah. 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 I, I'm guessing they couldn't afford a second uh, uh, packet of <laughs> castings in case they had to do another take. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that brings us to the real upheaval of this week. Yeah. And that comes from um, uh, an observant customer at Hema. She took a closer look at one of its vegan products and a package of the uh, t- typically Dutch retailers uh, Make It Yourself mini hot dogs clearly said that these were vegan products, but on the same package it was also advertised that the sausages were made of 100% better living chicken meat. Confused, the customer, who is also a vegan blogger, tweeted a photo of the package, saying that Hema completely missed the point with its marketing. Uh, on the one hand, uh, they are selling an, uh, a, a vegan product, but on the other hand, it is 100% real uh, real chicken meat. Um, the tweet went viral and sparked laughter and ridicule from people who accused the uh, typically Dutch retailer of vegan washing. I didn't know that existed, but apparently it does. Mm-hmm. Um, the package, uh, which is also available in vegan chicken, vegan pork, and vegan vegan varieties. What are vegan vegan varieties? Does that mean you actually have uh, vegan, like uh, what, what you have like a substitute for vegans in your meat? Like, a, uh, oh yeah, this, yeah, this was, is was a double. Did, did they originally uh, have burgers made from real vegans, and then they've got a <laughs> vegan alternative for vegans who want to pretend to eat other vegans? I don't know. <laughs> I know it's all very confusing, um, but yeah, Hema said uh, uh, in a statement that it was an honest mistake uh, with the Hoddock's new packaging. Uh, the same text as the vegan option was accidentally used on the meat options as well, which uh, uh, a spokesperson said wasn't very handy. No. I think that's one of the, yeah, the 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 the, the most typical typically Dutch things. So a stock say, Dutch right? excuse, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, they probably said also, that they must have said somewhere in the press release as well. It was hail for failend. That this had happened as well, because that's what they always say. Um, Hema apologized for the confusion and will correct the error, but they say it will uh, probably take weeks or months before a corrected version can be seen in the shelves. Right. Hema is always is a very reliable source of op-hef, isn't it? Yeah, like that's a, right. Yeah. yeah. With the they also they also remember when they had the um, was it the gender neutral clothing or rather they said yeah, they weren't right. going to distinguish between boys and girls clothes, and everyone was outraged. And then they said, well, actually, we've actually been doing this for the last three months, and you didn't <laughs> notice. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we just didn't specify that we were yeah. selling uh, 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 gender neutral clothes. Yeah. yeah. This week, stickstoff guru Johan Remkes finally presented his long-awaited and highly anticipated findings on how to continue with solving the nitrogen crisis. We give you an update on the latest developments in Vera Lago as well as... uh, yeah, do you like that? Yeah. Could also go for Kadisha Lago, but yeah, I thought this one was yeah, better. Fair Lago is good, yeah. Yeah. Um, we will also update you on new details regarding the energy and gas price cap, which the cabinet announced uh, two weeks ago. Archaeologists made a remarkable finding in The Hague, and we have a special report from Molly Quell, who was suffering so badly in Lelystad this week that she decided to contribute again to the podcast. Yeah, yeah so therapy takes many forms. <laughs> it really does. 
On Wednesday, Fixer-in-Chief Johan Remkes finally presented his long-awaited report on how to proceed with cutting nitrogen emissions and solving the gridlock between the government and farmers. Is this a gridlock that's been caused by all the tractors parked on the motorway over the summer? (laughs) Yeah, and by the cabinet itself. So yeah, uh, yeah it's uh, uh, everyone. Everyone is uh, is uh, guilty of the gridlock, indeed. Yeah. yeah. Remkes was, not for the first time, brought in by the cabinet for help after a summer full of disruptive farmers' protests, such as, uh, as you already said, the blocking of motorways, but also supermarket uh, distribution centers, uh, which led to uh, yeah, empty shelves in the supermarket, especially uh, uh, fresh products such as milk and, uh, and fruits and vegetables. Yeah. Um, farmer interest groups refused to talk to the government, and Johan Remkes was called to bring everybody together again around the table and find some common ground in order to proceed. Right. So for the, uh, the, the the people who've been hiding under a rock or been doing better things over the summer, can you just uh, give us a resume of what this is all about and why the cabinet ended up hitting the Johan Remkes button? <laughs> Again. <laughs> Again. Um, in 2019, the Council of State, that's uh, the Netherlands' uh, highest court, ordered the government to do more to protect designated nature areas from nitrogen pollution, such as uh, ammonia and nitrogen oxides. Um, it also scrapped the government's current nitrogen reduction policy, ruling that it wasn't adequate enough um, uh, to protect these uh, vulnerable areas. The court's decision led then to the so-called nitrogen crisis. Uh, building permits could no longer be issued and construction work had to be halted overnight um, basically because this also uh, causes some nitrogen emissions and yeah there was no room left uh, uh, anymore for 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 even more nitrogen uh, emissions um, an emergency measures to create more nitrogen room as it is called uh, mm-hmm. and allow building projects to continue was the speed reduction on motorways from 130 to uh, 100 kilometers an hour But it was clear that the major contributors to nitrogen emissions, uh, mostly farmers, uh, had to do the most concessions in order to reduce these emissions. Uh, Fearing that the closure of farms was inevitable, this led to the first wave of farmers' protests in 2019. Mm -hmm. And if you live in The Hague or anywhere else, you might remember all these tractors that all of a sudden appeared uh, in the middle of, uh, of the city center over there. Yeah. Then took the government uh, a couple of years to come up with a plan, um, also because you know we had a new government coming up, and uh, yeah, as we all know, the formation process took so long yeah. that that also meant that they couldn't work, uh, yeah, uh, 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 as hard as they wanted uh, yeah. to win new to new plans. But yeah, and they were kind of distracted by a few small things like a, like a global pandemic uh, breaking out as well. That too, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. As uh, um, well, all sorts of crises. Uh, uh, came after uh, came after the other Um, but this spring uh, the new nitrogen minister Christiane van der Waal um, presented the new government's plans and part of these plans was that uh, the forced closure of some heavily polluting farms around nature areas was uh, inevitable and that uh, despite the promise of generous compensation sparked outrage by farmers who feared their way of life was under threat um, again, motorways were blocked and upside-down flags were hung all over the country. Uh, the protest was also joined by other discontent groups of people, such as anti-corona measures and vaccination demonstrators. Uh, and it also saw the emerging of the almost militant farmers' protest groups, uh, such as uh, the Farmers' Defense Force and uh, that other group. Um, oh, Farmers' Defense Force, uh, Agraxi? Agraxi. Yeah, that's one. Agraxi, Agraxi yeah, 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 which is a clumsy uh, yeah. combination of <laughs> agriculture and action. Yeah. Um, Minister van der Waal also had to receive police protection following countless death threats and a threatening protest in front of her house. 
And under these grim circumstances, it was the task of uh, Johan Remkes, uh, which someone describes indeed as the uh, nitrogen guru. Mm. I believe it was Trouw newspaper. Um, He was uh, tasked to find a way to uh, make everyone talk to each other once again. Yeah, no no one's calling him the nitrogen sar, isn't he? There was a time when everyone's, everything had to have a sar. For some reason, the word sar has kind of gone out of fashion (laughs) in the last year. I wonder why. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, perhaps we can opt for for nitrogen ayatollah. Is that a <laughs> yes. better better option or not? I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, mm. probably. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. yeah. What? So, what did nitrogen? Uh, yeah, Uber Lord uh, Remkes <laughs> write in his writing his report. In summary, he has recommended to shift the focus to the 500 factory farms and other polluters with the highest impact on environmentally sensitive areas, and either change or close them down within the next year. This measure, which he said is the least bad route, would kickstart the required reduction of nitrogen emissions and will mostly hit intensive livestock producers located close to conversation areas. Uh, But Remkes emphasized that more focus is also needed at other polluting sectors such as infrastructure and industry. Mm. Uh, So moving the focus from agriculture to to these uh, other sectors as well. Yeah, and Uh, then Schiphol as well. The the, the, the farmers particularly always point at Schiphol is now reducing its number of flights. So, yes, and yeah. uh, and uh, 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 the the steel factory in Imaude, Tata yeah. Steel, uh, as well. Um, also, of course, road uh, uh, traffic is also a major contributor to nitrogen emissions. But we see that this uh, we we already uh, are in the middle of this transition from uh, fossil fueled cars to electric cars. Yeah. So, uh, um, 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 in, in that area, we we already see that uh, uh, steps are being taken. Um, the government's deadline um, to the reduction of 50% of nitrogen emission is 2030, and Jon Remke said that this should remain intact in order to avoid any more delays. Um, what is new, though, is his suggestion that this deadline should be evaluated in 2025 and 2028, and based on these evaluations, it could possibly be extended to 2035, but only in complicated cases and if enough pro- progress have been made already. Uh, and this is probably, I think, uh, a concession to Wopke Hoekstra, mm. who during the summer um, 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 yeah, said in less tactical terms uh, uh, the same thing, right? He yeah, said I mean, this, he said the deadline wasn't sacred. No, yeah, yeah, this 2030 deadline and yeah. should pr- could be extended to the legal 2035 uh, deadline, which is uh, uh, set in law. Mm. Um but uh, yeah, at at specific in specific cases. So I think Wopke uh, will be happy to to have read this in in uh, Remke's re- recommendations. Mm. Um, Remke said also that smaller farmers could either change their ways of working, move to a new location, or close down with the help of generous compensation. He acknowledged that farmers had been the victim of decades-long and constantly shifting government policies, and also said that it is undeniable that people in rural areas are feeling a growing divide between the countryside and cities, and that the government should also, um, uh, apart from the nitrogen crisis, look into ways of of solving uh, this sense of uh, detachment. and also, uh, Remkes added that action is required now. He emphasized that. He really emphasized this, and that delays are no longer permitted. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> because the thing is that we've, they've been talking about it for three years, but very little has actually been done. And this deadline of twenty thirty isn't getting any further away. Of course. No. And uh, no. as I think Remkes's point is that we, we forget this all started. The reason this all started was that um, uh, the ruling by the Council of State had the effect of basically stopping all 
permits for all large building projects so people couldn't send suddenly things like major road junctions big housing projects whole suburbs couldn't go ahead and the point is if, if they don't find a way to cut the nitrogen pollution then all that will grind to a halt again yeah so yeah. and i think the point is that you know, we've had three years already of kind of sitting dabbling in the waters not actually doing anything which means that we now are at a point where there are no good options left we've wasted too much time already i think is his point and then the farmers reaction will come to reactions in a minute one of the farmers reaction is that the farmers need more time to decide whether or not they want to give up work. I think Rimka's point is, well, you had that time and you've wasted it and now you're asking for more time and that's not going to work. Yeah. yeah. So what were the reactions, uh, from the, particularly from the farming sector? Well, to be honest, everybody seemed to be mildly positive or mostly positive uh, with his findings. I don't think I have seen anyone uh, criticizing it, uh, apart from the uh, Farmers' Defense Force, uh, who uh, said that disruptive protest will return if um, the uh, enforced buyouts will not get off the table, even though... Uh, Remke said that uh, in some cases that is uh, probably inevitable. Mm. Uh, but yeah, for example, Caroline van der Plas, that's the MP for the Boerburgerbeweging, that's a party that was founded specifically in protest against the nitrogen ruling from 2019, said that she had never been as hopeful as she is now, mm. um, which is a big win, I think. Yeah. Uh, and also uh, GroenLinks leader Jesse Klaver, uh, who is, uh, uh, of course, um, can be found mostly on the side of the environmentalists, said that he also is positive. Um, uh, um, agricultural lobby group LTO um, is also positive, but mm. they do say that the one-year deadline for the 500 polluters is too short. Um, but yeah, even the Farmers' Defence Force, I think, was surprisingly positive about it. They praised Tremkes for his hard work, yeah. uh, which is which is something I didn't expect coming from them. Yeah, well, they're positive um, in the sense they didn't immediately threaten to shut down the whole of the road network again. So, no, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so that's also a big win. And we yeah. could, I think we can conclude that, indeed, Jan Remkes, it really is the true polder czar. <laughs> um, he also said that the cabinet shouldn't think of calling him ever again <laughs> because really he's too tired of, 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 of fixing uh, uh, all the problems. Yeah. And we, perhaps we can talk about that um, more that, you know, it is also yeah kind of worrying that uh, our government needs so many independent mediators in order to solve the crisis that they themselves often are responsible for. Yeah, yeah I think the interesting thing here is, I mean, Remkes hasn't actually produced anything new here exactly. I mean, he's kind of said exactly yeah. what he said in the past i mean remember that it was remkes who came out with the report in the beginning that caused all the uproar all the ophef uh, when he said uh, you know compulsory buyouts are the only way to fix this and that's exactly what he's come out and said again but this time after talking to all the farmers so what he said behind closed doors to placate them i don't know but uh, it is very curious all of a sudden he, he repeats basically he repeats his stance he doesn't shift at all he can't because there's a legally binding yeah. ruling and yet everyone is much more positive um, about, uh, you know, about the whole situation than they were uh, at the start of the summer when um, we had hay bales burning on motorway verges. And, and, yeah, and, and, and piles and, of manure. Yeah, and then teenagers <laughs> on, on being Videx, shot by yeah. police as they fled on their tractors. Oh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that. No, yeah, as you said, uh, um, as far as I can see, is that his recommendations do not differ as wildly from what the government proposed in in the spring, mm. especially on small concessions 
uh, uh, in several areas. For example, this this deadline, you know, these these um, uh, uh, evaluation points uh, uh, until 2030. That's that's new, and also the the focus on the 500 polluters. Even though you know that also seems a logical conclusion from 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 uh, the government's goals. Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe perhaps um, uh, we just needed this. Um, towering figure, right? <laughs> this uh, eminence Greece to yeah. just uh, 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 state out the obvious, mm. uh, uh, say that you know we we have no way of of uh, avoiding what needs to be done, and we just simply needed uh, someone like him to just say it, and um, yeah, uh, uh, everyone seems to be agreeing with it now, yeah. more or less. More or less, yeah, yeah, that was a point. Yeah. So, do we think there's going to be more protests um, in the next uh, few months? Um, I I think so. I have to admit that I haven't looked into the farmers' telegram groups lately. Right. So I haven't experienced from first hand what the reactions in 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 these That's very uh, areas yeah. are. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes I had an invitation. Someone sent an invitation link, and then I you know, looked into it, and I got really depressed by the things that <laughs> were said there. It was really really worrying uh, in, yeah. in in some uh, instances, and I was really hoping that. The police was uh, was uh, was reading with that along as well. Um, so I don't know, but I have a general feeling that, or at least that's my, uh, uh, you know, it, I I too have a bubble. So yeah, I I, <laughs> I can't. Uh, I don't know what everyone is feeling, mm. uh, but I do think that yeah, uh, everyone seemed to be more or less okay with what Remkes has said. I think. Yeah. Yeah, well, we will see if, uh, if the tractors start up again in the autumn. I kind of think really we haven't, haven't quite seen the end of this yet, but perhaps it's starting to simmer down. Uh, it doesn't feel the, the the tone doesn't seem quite as hysterical as it was. Say exactly, uh, yeah, in, that was uh, what I was uh, trying yeah. to say. Yeah. yeah. The fallout from the Kadir Arib saga, or Vera Lago, as we now christened it, <laughs> continued this week with the resignation of her party colleague Henk Naibor from Parliament's Executive Steering Committee. Naibor had been criticised in the wake of Arib's decision to stand down as a Labour Party MP, after details of an external inquiry into her behaviour as Chair of Parliament were leaked to the media, and specifically NSA. The current Chair, Vera Bergkamp, has reported the leak to police, and there will now be a criminal inquiry, which nobody expects to turn up very much, but she kind of had to do it. Um, most members of the Presidium, as the steering committee is known, signed a letter at the weekend calling on Bergkamp to deliver a statement by lunchtime on Monday, but not Neibor, um, which was quite striking. Hmm. Um, and Arib said the lack of support from her Labour colleagues was one of the reasons she decided to quit as an MP. And the next day, Neibor announced his own resignation. Um, he said, quote, the members of the Presidium act in the interests of all members of Parliament, irrespective of their party allegiance. But in the last few days, I've been constantly been questioned about the relationship between my party membership and my support for an independent inquiry into these reports. That, made just, that makes it impossible for me to continue and function effectively in the Presidium in the interests of all members of Parliament. Isn't Presidium an English word? Yeah, it is. We, don't, we call it some... Yeah, I don't think we use it in um, hmm. uh, the British Parliament. Well, it's a, it's a Latin word, really. Isn't it? so yeah, it is. Yeah. It is used and in English a bit, but not uh, not in this context. And I think it also refers mostly to uh, uh, Soviet executive bodies, usually, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I used it a lot uh, last week in, in uh, when, when we talked about Arik, but where I said Presidium, I meant the Parliament's Executive Steering Committee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Um, so, uh, yeah, Arip said that the lack of support from her PvdA fellow MPs uh, was one of the reasons why she why she quit. But yeah. I do think that, uh, you know, her first statement was saying that uh, this investigation was a, a stab in the back from 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 Vera Bergkamp. Yeah, um, that was her. That was the first thing she said. But you know, then expecting support from your fellow MPs that means that they. Uh, acknowledge or support this this yeah uh, baseless claim basically that yeah. it was all Vera Bergkamp's doing as well as the other articles that we have seen in the past. So yeah, of course she couldn't expect um, 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 support from from them. I think so. Yeah, it was basically her own fault that they uh, didn't support her. I think. Yeah, she sort of turned it around and turned it into a very personal vendetta, hasn't she? In claiming that yeah, uh, yeah, Bergkamp is uh, is seeking revenge against her, um, which would be a curious thing given that Fear Bergkamp, you know, um, uh, beat uh, you know, Arib in the um, uh, in the last election to, uh, to become chair of parliament. Uh, but nonetheless, yeah. she says that she's now trying to kind of settle scores. Um, so she made she made it a very political investigation, which I think is. Yeah, kind of interesting and a bit worrying that um, she seems to be deliberately personalising it and uh, trying to play down the, the the substance of the allegations against her. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, this investigation into uh, the leakers, is, uh, do we already have some news about that? Uh, well, I mean, uh, Bergkamp has said, first of all, that the investigation will continue, even though Arib is uh, no longer mm. a member of parliament. Uh, so obviously the first question was, is there any point in carrying on with this now that she's not... Uh, in the trade of karma, but the answer is uh, yes. And uh, NSA have published more details of the complaints against her, which um, initially there were two anonymous letters sent to the Presidium, and that uh, uh, on the back of that they then asked uh, the government's legal advisers, Pelsreiken, um, to, uh, to to examine the evidence. Pelsreiken then spoke to 23 civil servants um, and documented um, uh, uh, the, uh, the complaints of abuses of power and a reign of terror. Um, when Arib was chair, which was between 2016 and 2021. And many of them came forward only after she was named as chair of the parliamentary inquiry into the coronavirus pandemic. Um, yeah. So a lot of civil servants just decided that, uh, that, 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 that they were prepared to um, put their experiences behind them, but they didn't want to work with her again, um, seemingly. Um, what we also know is a lot of senior civil servants who worked with Arib quit their jobs in the early years. So people like the Dukhifia, um, uh, which is uh, kind of the clerk of the parliament. The head of uh, the clerk, the, clergy. Yeah, the head of the parliament's yeah. clergy, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, the, the, the chief clerk, you could say. Um, yeah. The, the, was what was one person that quit. Um, and uh, the the, uh, the works council for parliamentary staff, the Ondernemisrat, uh, they wrote to her in 2017 saying that several colleagues found her behaviour intimidating and overbearing. So this hasn't come from nowhere, you know, and yeah. the idea that it's a political vendetta just by fear of Ber- Camp and her, her friends um, doesn't you know doesn't really answer a lot of the questions about why there have been um, complaints and reports go- going back for the last four years and not from MPs and not from their staff but from you know people who work in the civil service. Uh, so Pelsreiken concluded there was evidence of an unsafe working environment under Arib's stewardship, and on the basis of that, the members of the Presidium voted, and they voted unanimously, so including the ones who then later um, put pressure on Bergkamp to explain the situation, uh, they voted to commission an external inquiry. Yeah, and uh, NSA came out with uh, another article this morning where they outlined that ever since Arib 
became an MP in 1998, mm. uh, so she has been uh, in parliament for a very long time. Um, there were problems with uh, staff members that uh, left uh, prematurely uh, yeah. because they uh, uh, couldn't work with uh, Arip. And uh, um, um, yeah, there have been uh, numerous occasions where there were signs that uh, she might not have been such a good employer employee. So um, yeah, um, um, but all these signs were ignored over these uh, yeah 24 year span uh, which is also kind of worrying i think yeah um so um do we have a response from arip about all of this we haven't really she gave a couple of interviews uh, in the days after and then um, she obviously um, uh, issued a resignation statement um in which she said she'd been stabbed in the back as we said by Bergkamp uh, and also by her own party colleagues and um the the um the juicy detail here is that resignation letters from uh, MPs are, are uh, typically read out loud by the chair, yeah. so uh, it's now waiting until Vera Bergkamp is, uh, <laughs> will, will read uh, this, this resignation letter yeah. with claims of her stabbing someone in the back out yes. loud, and I'm yeah. really looking forward to that. That's going to be uh, fun. That's going to be a real popcorn moment. Definitely. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, she said, everyone has their limits. Arib, uh, this is Arib said, everyone has their limits, and this is an attack on my dignity. Um, yeah, as I say, NSA have published uh, several articles in the last uh, in the last week and a half, um, uh, giving more details of the allegations. They also sent Arib a list of thirty-two questions, but she didn't respond. Um, and she does seem to be basically, pers- uh, as we just said, uh, personalising the issue um, and uh, saying that you know these are anonymous letters. I don't know who they're from. No, that's the whole point of anonymous letters, um, and uh, therefore I can't answer the allegations. But um, well, I mean, the, 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 but, but uh, did the external inquiry can come to her with questions that she can choose whether or not uh, to answer. Um, so yeah, and uh, the PFDA meanwhile has kind of finally woken up to the fact that maybe they, they should be a bit more proactive um, and they're now calling for an inquiry into the handling of the inquiry, so a kind of inquiry section at the Trader Karma. Atikauken, the leader of the PFDA group, said it had been a very painful experience for her, not least because she only found out through the media that Arib had quit. She wasn't told in advance. Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah, which and, is uh, a uh, ironic thing, uh, given that uh, Arip uh, was uh, complaining so much that she uh, had heard through the media that she uh, was being investigated. Um, Arip uh, refused to answer these questions from the presidium and from. The, so, yeah, yeah. Of course, she also said, uh, "Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not responsible to. You know, I don't answer to Fair Bergkamp. She's not my employer, so therefore no. she wasn't prepared to cooperate with them." Um, but but imagine yeah. that, for example, Dion Gauss has said the same thing yeah. to her when she was chair and she asked uh, for clarification on, s- on on several terrible allegations at his address. Mm. What would she have done if Dion Gauss would have said, no, you are not my boss, I will not listen to you, you have nothing to say about me? Yeah. Uh, I can't, can't imagine that she would have accepted that. No. Um, so, yeah. Um, interesting. Uh, yeah, she's, uh, she's turning everything around and... Uh, this is definitely not the last thing we have uh, heard about it, I think. No, certainly not. The government on Tuesday published more details about its planned energy price cap, and it looks as if customers will benefit more than thought earlier. Ministers haven't only expanded the amount of electricity covered by the price cap, but have reduced the maximum price with companies can charge. 
The plan covers private households and small users, such as shops and social organizations. The new price cap for electricity has been reduced from 70 to 40 cents per kilowatt hours, including taxes, and the volume increased from 2400 to 2900 kilowatt hours. Ministers hope this means that people who opted to ditch gas and switch to heat pumps will no longer be disadvantaged, because that was the ironic outcome of the old plan, right? That people who have been saving on gas were now forced to pay more than they would have done if they hadn't switched to gas. Exactly. Um, The gas cap has now been set at one euro 45 per cubic meters, uh, (laughs) including taxes, (laughs) and that's down five cents on the earlier figure. There's no increase in the amount of gas covered by the cap, which which remains at 1200 cubic meters. Uh, And the idea is that this cap applies to these uh, uh, limits, right? And if you go above that, you pay uh, the full whack, basically. Exactly. Uh, So so, so basically, your your electricity company sets uh, sets its rates, which for most people have gone up in October. Well, they're now going up in November, of course, haven't they? Because that's another Mm. thing. Uh, Are we we mentioning this? Yeah, we mentioned that last week. Yeah, we mentioned last week. Yeah, because the consumer um, regulator stepped in and said you need to give thirty days notice. Most people's bills are going up in November now, but uh, yeah, you will pay the full you you will pay the full weight um, for anything you use in in excess of the uh, the cap limit. But below the cap limit, uh, the government will will pay whatever is above the forty cents per um, unit of electricity and one forty five per unit of gas. Yeah, and um, the idea was that uh, the the caps were set at the uh, uh, average gas and electricity yeah. usage, uh, meaning that uh, yeah, most people will be covered by that. But of course, there are also a lot of people who uh, live, for example, in social housing complexes with with very bad insulation or with only uh, single glassing, um, uh, uh, and and yeah, they typically use more electricity or gas than than this average amount so they yeah. would be uh, disadvantaged uh, as well so uh, yeah i think the the government was uh, gained a lot of criticism uh, for that from anti poverty campaigners and also MPs uh, and um, uh, yeah th- this is uh, in the with these new plans uh, they hope to uh, to cover them uh, yeah. better than uh, than previously yeah well yeah except that of course i mean th- 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 this has uh, been um, they've rebalanced the figures a bit to mainly to benefit people who've gone to green energy but as you say the people you just mentioned the people who just use lots of fossil fuels because they have no choice they're in a drafty rented housing aren't going to benefit that much actually if you if you burn a lot of gas um, the, 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 the rate for gas the cap rate for gas is only 5 cents less than it was going to be um, That's right, so, but yeah. uh, they will be able to apply for an additional 1,300 euros yes. next year yeah. to help them pay their energy bills. Uh, yeah. And also the price ceiling will come into effect on January 1st, as you said, uh, and households will be given 190 euros a month discount on their bills in November and December 2022. Um, um, so until uh, the new price uh, caps come into effect. Yeah. Um, there is also the question about compensation for small firms, uh, the, 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 the heavy users of gas, for example, bakers. They need to be compensated in a different way, but that uh, these plans are still being finalized. So, so what is all this going to cost the government, all of this uh, compensating people's energy bills? Well, that depends, of course, on how the energy and the uh, gas prices will develop, uh, because uh, yeah, the, the 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 government will compensate f- uh, until that price cap, and if the prices go higher, much higher than that, then you know it costs more than uh, than uh, if it stays below that. But uh, it is expected that it will be around 
23 and a half billion euros um, um, there is a margin of error here f with uh, 5 billion euros yeah. but it will be definitely be an expensive uh, year for the government uh, compensating everyone um, it certainly will yeah and uh, yeah the, 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 I mean the wholesale gas prices are drifting downwards but they're going to be still even the best case scenario they're going to be around about yeah sort of eight to ten times what they were two years ago Yes, and uh, th this uh, this plan also only covers uh, 2023, yeah. and yeah, depending on, for example, how long the war in Ukraine lasts, um, 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 uh, it might be necessary to expand it into 2024. Uh, but of course, let's hope that uh, that won't be necessary. Yeah. Uh, in uh, every way in imaginable. Every sense. Yeah. yeah. Now we've given the lowdown on exactly how much your gas bill is going to increase over the winter, perhaps you might find you still have a euro or a dollar or even a pound to spare to donate to the Dutch News Podcast on our Patreon page. By becoming a supporter of the Dutch News Podcast, you help us to help you keep track with what's going on in the Netherlands. Uh, and as ever, we will give you a shout out to say thanks. And if you have any questions for us, uh, we'll do our best to answer them. This week we'd like to say welcome to one new patron, Luke Watts, so thank you very much indeed for your support. And if anyone else would like to become a patron of the podcast, you can go log on to www.patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash dutchnewsnl. Hello, podcast listeners. It's Molly Quell. I drugged myself the entire way to Lelystad this week, and in an effort to make the best of it, I have recorded a short segment about the so-called Majorca Zak. You may remember the case. In July 2021, a group of Dutch guys got into a fight over a bar stool with another group of Dutch guys on the Spanish island of Majorca. The fight left one man, 27-year-old Carlo Hovelman, dead and several others seriously injured. Most of the group was from Hilversum, also known as Villa Village, so the narrative quickly became Rich Boys Gone Wild, La Isla Bonita edition. The group hightailed it off the island, booking earlier flights back to the Netherlands, but leaving one poor sod back at the rental property to turn in the key so they wouldn't lose their deposit, proving the Dutch are alike in their cheapness regardless of socioeconomic status. Tossing fuel on the American gender reveal party level of media storm blaze, appropriately named Schockblog Geen Style, quickly got its grubby little fingers on both the suspects' full names and a variety of cell phone footage from the evening, which they published. The prosecutor's office issued a middle school principal-esque complaint about internet rumors directed at Geen Style, which totally made the website with the tagline tendentious, unfounded, and needlessly hurtful retract everything, apologize, convert to veganism, and move to an ashram. I am, of course, kidding. Prosecutors at the Central Netherlands District Court have charged nine guys, all between the ages of 18 and 20, with manslaughter, assault, and openlijke geveld, which we've opted to translate as violent disorder, but basically means brawling and is usually reserved for football hooligans. The trial is taking place here, rather than in Spain, at the request of a Spanish judge who took one look at this mess and kicked that can north to Lelystad. Under the 1959 European Mutual Assistance Convention, European countries can request legal aid help from one another, including relocating entire cases abroad. In this situation, given that both the victims and the defendants are Dutch, it made sense for the trial to be held in the Netherlands. The charges have been broken up over four incidents, Hovelman's death, one fight outside Café de Bira Express, one fight outside Café de Zak, and then generally being a violent asshole in a group. You can tell how popular of a holiday destination this is for Dutch tourists by the names of the bars in question. As it was a drunken street brawl, there's a lot of confusion about who actually did what, 
Much to the annoyance of everyone except their defense attorneys, the accused have mostly claimed that they don't remember or that everything happened too fast, including using the horrid phrase, geen active herinnering, so many things to blame Mark Rutte for, but that one is going to be at the top. Here is a clip from the courtroom on Thursday. I don't know why you keep your mouth closed, if that is to responsibility, or if that is to protect a friend, 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 or if that is to protect Maar wat mij betreft is dit echt te wezenlijk. Die nabestaanden die blijven de rest van hun leven met onverwerkt verdriet achter, met vragen achter. En ik zal ook zeggen, volgens mij blijven jullie de rest van je leven, blijft het geweten ook echt aan jullie knagen. Dus wat mij betreft, de komende dagen, inhoudelijke behandeling, zijn er voor jullie voor om verantwoordelijkheid af te gaan leggen. En doe dat ook. Wees een vent en vertel nou gewoon echt wat er gebeurd is. I don't know why you all are keeping your mouth shut. If it is to avoid responsibility, or if it is to protect a friend, or if you are afraid you will be seen as a traitor. But as far as I am concerned, this is entirely too important. The next of kin will live the rest of their lives with unprocessed grief, with questions. And I also say that this will gnaw at you for the rest of your life. Thus, as far as I am concerned, in the coming days, the trial on the merits is for you all to take responsibility. So do that. Man up and tell what really happened. That's one of the three judges, Bay Bakemon, addressing the suspects during the hearing. A Spanish medical examiner concluded that Hovelman died after being repeatedly kicked in the head. Two of the suspects were found with DNA on their shoes from two of the victims, including the deceased. The defense lawyers dispute how that material got there. Beyond the DNA evidence, prosecutors are mostly relying on witness testimony and cell phone and security cam footage from that night. During the hearing on Thursday, the court showed a number of clips from videos, including one where you can see Hovelman laying motionless on the ground while two girls try to care for him. Prosecutors also created a 3D render of the street to clarify what happened where that had worse graphics than the original fallout. The trial will continue in the coming days with the evidence against each individual suspect. Next week, the girlfriend and relatives of Hovelman will have an opportunity to address the court. A verdict is expected on November 18th. We would just like to reassure our listeners that Molly did make it back safely from Lely's start and is now recuperating at home with Truby and a big glass of gin. <laughs> Regardless of the hour you're listening to, uh, she is <laughs> drinking gin. <laughs> Halloween, St. Martin and Sinterklaas still a few weeks off. But uh, these days, the autumn begins with another keenly awaited tradition. Yes, it's the start of the annual coronavirus season. What kind of snacks go along with uh, coronavirus? Yeah, and I think there should be socially distanced castingles or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so something yeah. gives you really bad breath, maybe like uh, so people uh, keep away from garlic them. bread. Garlic bread, yeah, lots of garlic bread. Yeah, so celebrate the start of coronavirus season with a big uh, wedge of garlic bread. The RVM said last week that the autumn wave had begun as cases climbed by more than fifty percent in a week. But they also said there was no need to panic because the Omicron variant isn't causing so much serious illness. Nice to know that everyone thinks this is the final version of COVID-19 and there's no danger of the virus mutating into a deadlier and more infectious strain. The blood donation agency Sankin said 90% of donors under the age of 25 now have antibodies in their system, which indicates they've been infected with the virus. And that also goes for 59% of people over 70. We've been able to train our immune system in a relatively mild way over the summer, said microbiologist and Sunkin Dr. Hans Zayer. It's a great name for someone who works with viruses. (laughs) Um, This is good news with winter on the way, he said. So So can you tell us how how mild exactly this infection really is? 
Right, okay, so this is a bit where I do the numbers, so skip ahead if you can't stand uh, that kind of thing. Uh, in the last seven days, uh, the number of positive tests has gone up by 50% to around 2,700, but of course we're not doing universal testing any longer. Um, if you're under 60 and you don't have any underlying health condition, you're just supposed to take a self-test and then follow the self-isolation rules that we've all forgotten. Can you remember what the self-isolation rules are? Well, uh, isn't it uh, stay at home uh, 24 hours uh, until... No, stay at home until you haven't had symptoms for 24 hours, isn't it? Probably, yeah. Yeah, oh, I'm not you don't sure, know as well. To be honest, I don't know either. No. Yeah, but certainly okay. don't go outside and don't travel, work from home, yeah. uh, even though your boss will probably keep telling you to come in. Anyway, there are currently 945 patients in hospital as a result of coronavirus infections, which is an increase of nearly 40% since a week ago but again we're still yet to see any kind of big jump in intensive care cases um, which is hovering around the 40 mark which is a lot less than a year ago even though we got more patients in hospital there are also signs of virus coming back in nursing homes where cases have roughly tripled in the month of september uh, that's also the case of people over 70 who live at home uh, nursing organization fei and fei en said there are signs that face masks are making a comeback in care institutions um, but there's been no actual change in policy it's just kind of a bit of a voluntary thing if you feel like wearing a wild mask in a nursing home surrounded by elderly vulnerable people then uh, yeah go ahead but it's not that important seemingly and in care homes for people with disabilities, where cases are much lower, I have to say, but uh, we have seen an increase from less than four positive tests a day across the country at the beginning of September to 15 by the end of the month. So that is quite a leap, but in the context of very low numbers. But nevertheless, uh, yeah, not the direction you want the trend to be going in. But nonetheless, the message is that we shouldn't panic at all, right? Yeah, no, the government's uh, got this coronavirus thermometer now. Is that new? Yeah, it's like a sort of DEFCON um, huh. scale, which sort of levels one to what, four. What happened to the Corona dashboard? It's on the Corona dashboard. Ah, okay. The coronavirus thermometer is the latest mutation of the coronavirus <laughs> dashboard. Yeah, you know, as the podcast in Yalvad have actually produced on their gone their page, you've got a list of all the action plans and all the kind of um, you know the timetables the government has produced and immediately forgotten all about. Yeah. There's been like 30 of them or the, something. The roadmap, yeah. Anyway, they have this thermometer now. It's like levels one to four. Four being, uh, yeah, crisis point, And one is, don't worry, do nothing. And the moment we're at level okay. one. Level two is kind of voluntary measures. Do something if, you, if, you, if you're feeling worried. Level three is where the government actually will bring in things like mask mandates and social distancing. But only if it's actually got a law passed through parliament that allows it to do these things, of course, because the last one expired. Oh. So in the meantime, the advice is just wash your hands, avoid busy spaces, and get a booster vaccine. Speaking of uh, vaccinations, there was also a little bit of opeth around these booster vaccines this weekend, right? Uh, yeah, because the website they used to book uh, the booster jabs, or they call them repeat vaccinations now, went on the blink, basically. Um, officially, only people over 70 are supposed to be eligible for the autumn round. But uh, yeah, it turns out they've had two years to sort out a fairly simple booking system, and they're still struggling with it. So the glitch in the system meant that anyone can make an appointment, because basically there's one booking portal for all vaccines, but there are still people out there who haven't had any vaccines yet, so they still have to be able to put their first and second vaccine. Other people who are fully vaccinated should now be able to book a uh, vaccine when their time comes round. But it's basically not checking what your age is, uh, whether you work in healthcare or not, whether you've had a letter from your doctor to say you can book your jab. They just basically waved everybody through. So people discovered this the weekend. People frankly started booking up vaccines, even if they were just, uh, you know, 
fit, healthy, uh, well under 50. Uh, and then it was kind of a lottery whether, you know, when you turned up at the KKD vaccination centre, whether they actually challenged you and said, uh, why are you turning up for a vaccine when it's not your time to book? Or they just said, that's too much hassle, we'll just give you a jab. So lots of people ended up getting jabs ahead of their time. I mean, I managed to book a jab, which was due to be this week, but then when I discovered that I'd inadvertently skipped the queue, I cancelled it. Oh, yeah. So, Do you know who's responsible for, for this? It wouldn't be Hugo de Jonge, would it? No, I mean, who is responsible for uh, <laughs> oh. a lot of people booking a jab, even though they aren't eligible? I, be- I believe it's uh, um, a journalist for, uh, is it NOS? No, uh, she's, I think she works for a lobby group, I believe. Um, oh, okay, um, right, yeah. I don't know what her name is. But she she's, she's on Twitter and she uh, sort of announces every time another group of people can, can, can book a vaccination. And what she does is yeah. she goes to the website every morning and then she enters a new uh, birthday or new year of birth right. and then if uh, that slot opens up she announces on twitter oh people who are born in this year can apply for a jab and what she did during the weekend was she started to do the same thing she always does but every time she entered an, an, a new year of birth uh, she was allowed in so she found out that everyone yeah. basically can book a, a vaccination whether or not they're eligible or not so she discovered the glitch and she announced on twitter yeah. that everyone can book it if they want to so everyone did and yeah. the ggd asked her multiple times because this wasn't the first time it happened to just you know not communicate to her 500,000 followers that um, they can book a, a, a vaccination. So um, yeah. she do- just doesn't listen to the GGD and she she yeah. does it anyway. I called her a prick minaret. Yeah, that doesn't help. But I guess what would also help would be if they just managed to build a better booking of website course, in the Of course, and first that's, that's her defense as well. But, you know, she knows yeah. that this is not supposed to happen and she still she chooses yeah. to tell everyone that they can uh, they can book a jab so yeah i think she has some responsibility here because you know a lot of people rely on her for communication well that's true but then i remember the with the uh, the last round of booster vaccines like everybody like the health the younger the health minister and several mps every time a new year came on stream there was a big fanfare and announcement about it saying you know and people saying gifts about you know based on music from whatever year it was and that kind of thing saying yeah, she, she was the one who initiated that yeah yeah but, but this year we haven't had that so there's a complete lack of clarity no one really knows what the rules are wh- wh- whose turn it is you know whether you should be going for your third or fourth jab at all there doesn't seem to be any kind of real momentum uh, by the government to make sure that people get their booster jabs um, even though it's a very important and effective way of um, combating the disease yeah people receive a letter if they if they can uh bouquet jab yeah that's the way the government uh, is communicating it yeah so for clarity and at the moment i think it's now anyone over 60 is now entitled to get a uh, repeat vaccine a fourth vaccine um and also they're now starting to send letters out to people who have health conditions that might make them more susceptible um if you're on the list to get the, the annual flu jab um then yeah. you will get a letter from your gp in the next couple of weeks you should and then by the end of october the idea is that by the end of october everyone else will be able to book a vaccination so that's the state of play at the moment so if you're over 60 or if you get the regular flu jab you can now book your vaccine sports news now and it was a historic night for Ajax in the Champions League against Napoli nobody who was at the match will ever forget the sight of Amsterdam's finest sons collapsing faster than the Russian front line (laughs) in Ukraine 
Ajax actually took the lead after nine minutes through Mohamed Kudus' third goal in three Champions League outings, but by half-time they were 3-1 down, the Italians scored again straight after the break and then they hit cruise control, and in all they had 26 shots on goal, and had it not been for Remco Pasfier and the crossbar late on, the humiliation could have been even greater. Coach Alfred Schroeder said it was a blow and unworthy of Ajax, and it would be very hard now to qualify for the knockout stages, uh, but he appealed to fans to stay calm, we're still on thermometer level one. Dusan Tadic blamed the fact that the club had sold seven or eight key players during the summer um, and probably wishes that he'd left as well. <laughs> and Stefan Bergwijn opted not to comment at all. He said, I don't think it would be sensible to say how I'm feeling, he said. And he still hasn't. Okay. So. Yeah. So he remains uh, <laughs> silent. Yeah. And as if things weren't bad enough for Schroeder, one of the few people to stand up for him was Johan Derksen. Oh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then you know who things are bad yeah exactly uh, when he's in your corner uh, Dexon said uh, blame the players he said he got three veterans Dusan Tadic Daily Blint and Remco Pasfier who can't keep up anymore you know I kind of thought Pasfier actually was, uh, deserved a bit of credit for making sure he only let in six goals <laughs> um, Daily Blint on the other hand just seemed to be sort of a pedestrian wandering about the pitch to no good purpose mm. Ajax now have three games left to try to salvage their Champions League campaign and the next is away to Napoli on Wednesday, so good luck for them with them in uh, in that enterprise. Yeah. Hide your fountains, uh, Napoli. Um, <laughs> even though that was fine, those were final fans, weren't they? Yeah. Um, but yeah. was there any better news from other teams playing in Europe? Uh, yes, yeah, certainly for PSV, they uh, they put on a Napoli-esque display in Switzerland in the Europa League. Uh, they were three one up. Sorry, they were three nil up against FC Zurich after twenty one minutes. And they ran out 5-1 winners. But as at Alkmaar, they had a harder time at home to the Giants of Cyprus, Apollon Limassol, in the Conference League. They needed an 85th minute header by Jesper Carlsen to win hmm. 3-2. And Feyenoord found something rotten in the state of Denmark. Uh, they went 2-0 up at uh, Midtjylland but, uh, by half-time, but then they ended up being pegged back to a draw. Hmm. 2-2. All right. And away from Europe, uh, what's the latest on the World Cup? Yeah, the World Cup in the desert, which uh, starts in uh, Qatar next month. And absolutely no controversy about this whatsoever. As, uh, everyone's quite yes. happy that we're having uh, yeah, we're having this World Cup on the other side of the world in a country that doesn't care about football. Um, no, it's been, it's been surrounded by controversy about uh, the corrupt selection procedure, deaths of thousands of workers during the construction of the stadiums, and just the generally very dodgy human rights record of the emigrants, uh, about uh, equality rights, women's rights, gay rights, you name it, and just practical concerns about why we're having the tournament in Qatar in the first place. So lots of governments around the world have been scaling back their diplomatic presence uh, and also lots of advertisers um, have uh, walked away from the tournament. Uh, but Mark Ritter said this week that the cabinet still hasn't worked out his position. Is he going to ask Johan Remkes to... Uh... I think it's only a matter of time before he calls Johan yeah. Remkes. Yeah. In fan, I mean, in fairness to Rutter, it's only been 12 years since they awarded the tournament to Qatar, so he hasn't much time, <laughs> too much time to get his head around it. He's been busy the past 12 years with other things, I think. Yeah, he has. I mean, it was just like the early months of his premiership. Yeah. He probably got a note about it and it just like, uh, yeah, it put it away in a drawer <laughs> and forgot. So he said the, cap the cabinet will, will decide as soon as possible to attend. He's going to have to get a move on because the tournament starts in five weeks' time. And Jasper von Dijk of the SP pointed out that Parliament had passed a motion over a year ago saying there should be no official delegation to Qatar. I think it would be, uh, it would be wise not to go. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, this is uh, just the latest example, really, of the, the government not doing the obvious thing yeah. in the first place and then getting itself in an awful tangle. But uh, 
this should be fairly easy to sort out, I think, hopefully. Yes, and going even uh, further east, uh, how is uh, Max Verstappen doing? Yeah, Max Verstappen will be hoping to sew up the Formula One Drivers' Championship in uh, Suzuka this weekend in Japan. He's got a fairly good record, although he's never won the race. And his Formula One career began at the Japanese Grand Prix as well in 2014. So that was his debut. He's also said he wants to win it for Red Bull's engine manufacturer, Honda. <laughs> Which, uh, of course, uh, who comes from Japan, of course. Yeah, um, we talked about the mathematical possibility of uh, him winning the World Championship uh, last week. Uh, again, there is a mathematical possibility he will win this time uh, because last week uh, it didn't go so well in um, Singapore. No. Um, but um, yeah, perhaps we will. Uh, we can announce next week that uh, he won the championship a second time, even though there is some speculation about uh, he might lose some, some championship points because Red Bull has exceeded the, uh, the budget cap. Oh, yes. That's right, yeah. Marginally, Marginally it, yeah. It has, yeah. So depending yeah. on how much or even if they have exceeded the, the budget cap, uh, it might have consequences mm. for the championship. But yeah, I think that would be a nice continuation of the uh, regulatory chaos that uh, led to his uh, his uh, f- uh, initial uh, world championship. Yeah. Without the grey areas in the rules, he wouldn't have won the, the championship n- uh, last year. So it uh, would only be no, fitting indeed. if that uh, doesn't happen this time, I think. Archaeologists in The Hague have found two lion bones during excavation work in the Buitenhof, a square opposite of the Binnenhof parliamentary complex. The bones were found in 2021 and date back to the 14th century and are the oldest remains from lions ever dug up in the Netherlands. One is uh, of the foreleg from a young lion, but the archaeologists gave no details about the second bone. Historical research showed that the lions were most likely part of the private menagerie of Count William IV of Holland. Between 1344 and 1358, bills for the maintenance of the lion's enclosure can be found in the Count's archive, as well as for food. The records show that in 1347 the lion's menu consisted of 187 sheep and 43 calves. Impressive numbers, I have to yeah, say. Especially yeah. because they are apparently small lions, um, so yeah... So a whole sheep every two days, yeah. roughly. Mm. Yeah. Other exotic animals in the Buitenhof Zoo included a leopard and a dromedary. Uh, specifically, uh, the lions were Barbary lions. That's a species that lived in northern Africa and has since been uh, gone extinct. Yeah, and there was probably a Fiat Wilders-type politician at the time saying they should be sent home <laughs> and they should shut the border. Right? Min the min the lions, yeah. He only said it twice, <laughs> yeah. not not three times, because there were only two. Then, then he got eaten, yeah. 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 I, I was glad they clarified that these were lions from the 14th century, because I was worried for a minute there was something prowling around the Hague that was eating lions, <laughs> that we'd end up with some kind of terrible Dick Mass movie. <laughs> or a terrible Lin of the Mole series. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you know which animal is the symbol of the Hague? Uh, it is the uh, the the, oifa, the, um, the yes. stork. Yes, and not a yeah. reiger, as some people seem to think. Yeah. And there are, um, yeah. f- that's also nice, there are 14th century engravings of the Binnenhof, so the, the, the Riddersaal, and on top of that there yeah. is a stork nest. Uh, so uh, I thought that was oh. a nice detail uh, when I was uh, researching this story. So, uh, yeah. But uh, there are also lions, right, in the coat of arms of, of the Hague. So perhaps that refers to uh, yeah. 
to these two uh, two lions, yeah. The Dutch Royal Coat of Arms, of course, ha- has the lion rampant, which is indistinguishable from the Scottish lion yeah. as well. I was thinking it's really interesting. You actually, if you look at pictures them side by side, they're almost identical. And so perhaps they are also uh, related in some way. Um, yeah. Yeah, perhaps we should ask uh, Jan Remkes uh, uh, what the names of these uh, <laughs> lions were, because I'm sure he was around when uh, when Count William IV exactly, had yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can just see like, Jan Remkes actually being a medieval lion tamer. <laughs> that would... Uh, <laughs> in a way, he still, he still is a lion tamer, isn't he? So, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah he managed to tame, he managed to tame Farmer's Defence Force, which is an even more formidable task. Exactly. Yeah. In 600 years, they will find some bone <laughs> segments of, uh, of farmer yeah. terrorists in Rampers. the Battle Yeah. yeah. That's uh, all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also back us now on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derek and also to Molly Quell. I hope she, uh, she enjoys her gin uh, and we'll be back next week.